Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So far, we've covered chapters 1 through 4. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know that. Uh, Nehemiah heard the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and the gates were burned. In chapter 2, remember Nehemiah wept and he prayed and he asked his boss, could he go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls? And he asked the king to give him provision to do the work. The king agreed and Nehemiah and his army of soldiers went to Jerusalem. In the first order of business, Nehemiah positioned himself on the wall to begin rebuilding. The Bible says that they had a trial in one hand and what, saints? A sword in the other. And while busy building their enemies, anybody remember the enemies of Israel, their names? Samlot and Tobiah, and there's actually one other, Gershom. Honey, you can't answer. (laughs) Cheater. She knows. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Gershom. And if you remember when you were, we were talking about Sambalot and Tobiah and Gershom were seeking to distract and hinder and cause doubt and unbelief as the people were busy doing the work of God, they were seeking to cause doubt and unbelief. Remember I told you in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see the struggle the Jewish people faced while they were trying to build the walls. In chapter 4, they struggle with discouragement. In chapter 5, here in chapter 5, they struggle with division. And in chapter 6, they struggle with distraction. Very easy. Discouragement, division, and distraction. Last time in chapter 4, Sambalot and Tobiah discouraged the people from without. Remember that? As they were on the wall building and they were mocking. Well, here in chapter 5, we see that there's division among the people within. In chapter 5, there's no mention of building. In chapter 5, there's no mention of Sambalot and Tobiah. In chapter 5, the enemy is not without, the enemy is within. In chapter 5, Nehemiah has to deal with the worst enemy of all, and that's the people themselves. In chapter 5, Israel is against Israel, and God's people against God's people. Are you listening? In chapter 5, there's backbiting and complaining and gossiping and devouring one another. In chapter 5, Nehemiah, watch this, has to put down his hard hat and focus on nonsense. He's got to put off the work of God to deal with the work of the flesh. He has to put off building the walls of Jerusalem to focus on the walls that are building around the people's hearts. Three points I want to give you as it relates to how Nehemiah dealt with division in this chapter. 
Number one, and I don't have this on the screen, so you might want to listen and write it down. Number one, this is what we're going to talk about tonight, our outline, how Nehemiah dealt with division. Number one, oh, yes, I do. I do have a slide for you. Yes, I do. Number one, he handled division. Number one, we'll talk about the complaints he heard in verses one through five. Secondly, we're going to talk about the steps he took as it relates to the division, the complaints he heard, the steps he took. And then finally, we're going to talk about the example Nehemiah set. The complaints he heard in verses 1 through 5, the steps he took in verses 6 through 13, and the example Nehemiah set in verses 14 through 19. I love this chapter. You're going to love it too. I've titled this sermon, The Enemy Within, Nehemiah chapter 5, saints. Now, I struggled because there's quite a bit to read before we have any comments. So just stay with me. We're meat eaters here. Isn't that right? Bunch of spiritual carnivores. That means you, you're meat, not on milk. Amen. All right, chapter 5, let's read verse 1. We'll read all the way to verse 13, come back, and we'll have some comments, a lot of comments. Uh, beginning in verse 5, saints, if you're looking at it, say amen. And there was a great outcry, circle that. There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the, their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our land and our vineyards. Yet now our flesh is the, is the flesh of our brethren and our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. Is it not in our power to redeem them? For other men have lands and vineyards. And Nehemiah, notice, became very angry. When I heard their outcry and their words, and after serious thought, underline that, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and I said to them, each of you is exacting usury, that's interest, from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? And then they were silenced and they found nothing to say. And then I said, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations of our enemies? Put a star next to Verse 9, we're going to talk about that. 
I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this taking advantage of people by overtaxing them. Restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil that you have charged them. And so they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do what you said, Nehemiah. And then I called the priest. And I required an oath from them that they would do according to the promise. And then I shook out the fold of my garment. And I said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even this may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, brother, amen. Did you hear me? And what they do? Hmm, somebody ain't reading along. what they do? Uh-huh. And then the people did. According to the promise. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. Point number one, the complaints Nehemiah heard. Notice, just go back up to verse one, if you will. And the Bible tells us that there was a great outcry, a great outcry uh, of the people. So a great cry was heard among the Jews. In the midst of a great work for a great God, there was a great cry among the people. And listen, they weren't crying against their enemies. They were crying against their own people. Did you get that? Again, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. The Bible tells us, and I believe that Satan knows, that if God's work is going to be successful, unity is essential. Did you hear me? If God's work is going to be successful, unity is essential. And so Satan knows that. We got to understand that there's a real enemy And there is real spiritual forces and wickedness in dark places seeking to hinder the work of God. So these Jewish people have come out of Babylonian captivity after being there for 70 years. And a decree was given that they could go back to their homeland. And so everybody goes back to their homeland to rebuild. Nehemiah goes back to rebuild. And when they get back into the homeland... Uh, Satan begins to store up problems within because he can't get them to focus on the problems with or the situations without. Like Sambalot and Tobiah and Gershom trying to get their attention and trying to cause problems. And they're not giving in to that. They got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. They're doing the work of God, putting the mortar on and putting the plaster on the gates and on the walls and building. And they got a sword in the other because if the enemy comes, they'll stop and off with their head back onto the wall. Amen. Back onto the wall. I like to be there. I like to do that. Building a wall off of the head. So they're... They're building, they got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And Satan's now, he can't get them to focus on the problems without Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gershom the Arab. And so he causes problems within. Unity is essential. He begins to create discord and division and dissension. 
And listen, at, at, at first, they're actually facing two significant problems here at this time. First of all, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. They're facing two significant problems right now. At this time of building, times were hard. The people were facing famine because they hadn't had time to cultivate the land. And so they couldn't grow enough food or they hadn't grown enough food to feed the thousands of people that came out of the captivity back to Jerusalem to help. So times are hard are hard. They're facing a famine. Secondly, the people are being heavily taxed by the king of Persia. Keep in mind, the building of the wall was paid for. Remember, I think it was uh, chapter two, uh, right about verse seven and eight. Yeah, about, about verse eight. So the building of the wall was already paid for, but the king insisted on taxes. Oh, you know that Uncle Sam going to get his. That goes way back in the Bible, y'all. That's nothing new. The Bible said nothing new under the sun. That's true. So the king insisted on taxes. So in order to get food and to pay their taxes, people are robbing Peter to pay Paul. And people were borrowing against anything of value, homes, farmland, uh, houses, uh, cattle. Uh, I was going to say cars. They didn't have cars. (laughs) Cattle. And, And whatever they had of value. And keep in mind, there were no Bank of Babylon, and there was no Wachovia in those days. So people would borrow from other Jews, whoever would lend them money, including borrowing from the rulers and the nobles because they had money. And don't get it wrong, there's no problem with that. There's no problem with that. As a matter of fact, God in his infinite wisdom had already thought of that. God knows the heart of man. Can somebody say amen? And God knows that man would charge crazy interest on lending money and would take advantage of a bad situation. God knows that. So God put some rules in place for lending and borrowing. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19 and 20. You shall not charge interest, God says, to your brethren. Interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner, you may charge interest, but to your brethren, you shall not charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Leviticus 25, verse 35 and 38 says this. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Take no usury. Could God be any more clear? Take no usury or interest from him, him, but fear your God that your brethren may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food and a profit. So they were allowed to lend money. And they were allowed to borrow, but they were not allowed to charge what? Very good. Here in chapter five, the nobles were charging interest, which was against God's word and God's law. And here's what's worse. When somebody couldn't pay it back, the lender would then take their home, take their land, take their kids and bring them into slavery, which was also forbidden by God. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39 and 41. 
If one of your brethren dwells by you, becomes poor, and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a highest servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until, what saints, the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family, and he shall return to the possession of his fathers. So in the year of Jubilee, anybody know what number year that would be? What year? 50. Did I hear somebody say 57? And then I thought I heard somebody say 7. It's 50. Write it down. The year of Jubilee is the 50th year. In the 50th year or in the year of Jubilee, all debts had to be forgiven. All land had to be given back to all the servants and all slaves had to be set free. So if somebody owed you money, listen, you better collect it before the 50th year. That's the way I look at it, okay? If they owe you money, you better get it before the 50th year because at the 50th year, you have to forgive the debt according to God's word. You have to give back all land. You have to give back all the servants and all the slaves had to be set free. So the problem was the rulers and the nobles were exploiting their brethren and disobeying God's law while they were helping and lending. So Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem to build the walls. And I think he's quickly learning it's a lot harder to build people than walls. Nehemiah is learning Jerusalem is more than stone. Listen to me. Jerusalem is more than stone and mortar and walls. Jerusalem is an institution of God. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Jerusalem only maintains its integrity and its character when God's people submit to God's law and to God's word. And keep in mind, Nehemiah is dealing with people who were born in Babylon. Remember I told you, many of these Jews, this is the first time they ever saw Jerusalem. For many of them, they had come out of Babylon, but Babylon hadn't come out of them. In other words, oh, you need to write that down. That was good. They came out of Babylon, but Babylon didn't come out of them. In other words, they were led out of Babylonian captivity, but they maintained a Babylonian worldly value system. A Babylonian way of thinking is still embedded in their hearts. You see, at a time in history, Babylon was the wealthiest nation in the world. Babylon was the most materialistic nation in the world. Babylon was the most hedonistic nation in the world. So they came out of Babylon. Well, Babylon hadn't come out of them. I think of Israel when they left Egypt. They left Egypt, but Egypt didn't come out of them. You know the story? Moses leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness. They're in the wilderness for three days, count them, three days. And they begin to complain. And God had just done an awesome miracle in bringing them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, moving them on toward the promised land, did a great miracle, destroyed Pharaoh's army, drowned in the Red Sea. I can't even say that without saying it like that. Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. And God had done a great miracle. God had done awesome things in showing them his might and his power, miraculous, awesome miracles of deliverance, but they are whining. Three days, and they're whining. Don't whiners bug you? 
whiners bug you. I like you ever meet somebody and they just, do you know anybody like that? That they just whine all the time. How you doing? Wah, wah, wah. You just give them a business card that just says, call 1-800-WAH. Whining. They're whining and complaining. Three days after being in the wilderness, they leave Egypt excited, energetic, with expectation. Three days later, they said, Moses, did you lead us out here to die? Because then they were also not only whiners, but they were dramatic. <laughs> Drama. Three days. Did you lead us out here to die? Whiners bug me. And dramatic queens Drama bugs me. Drama, what do they call them? Drama queens. <laughs> drama. Just drama. Always drama. Did you bring us out here to die? We're going to die. Moses, you brought us out here to die because they, they were hot and they were, they were dry and, 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 it was, and they had no food and they had no water. And they said, we had it better in Egypt. At least we had onions and leeks and garlic to eat. And that's amazing because how quickly they forgot what Egypt was really like. They forgot they were slaves in Egypt. They forgot while they were in Egypt where they were told, they were told what to do and how to do it and when to eat and when to move. And and they worked all day and they labored for money and they forgot it wasn't that much fun in Egypt. And oftentimes Christians are the same way. We come out of the world and then after some time we get bored and we say, oh man, you know what? I had so much fun in the world. And we forget the mornings we woke up next to somebody we didn't know their name. We forget. It's true. We forget the mornings we woke up with a black eye because we were too drunk the night before to even remember how it happened. We forget. We woke up the next morning and we find our while it is missing, we lost our money and we don't even know what happened to it. You forget while you were in the world, you drove yourself in the debt and serving your flesh and, and, and walking in the world. You forget about those terrible, somebody need to listen to me. You forget about those terrible relationships that you had when you were in the world and how bad things were when you were in the world. It wasn't good in the world. But when we become Christians, we seem to forget that it wasn't good in the world. Just like Israel forgot that it wasn't good in Egypt. Oh, we had it so great when we had leeks and onions and garlic to eat, which that's kind of not that tasty. Anyways, not in my world. We forget. And they forgot what it was like to be in Babylonian captivity. And now they're complaining and they're whining and they're, 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 they're now arguing with one another. And I've learned, you know, I've, I'm with Pastor Moses, I have learned that complaining in the ministry is par for the course. If you want to be a pastor, why? <laughs> also, you should know that Complaining, now nobody here, no one in this room, I'm not even talking to anybody in this room, I'm just talking about how it is out there, okay? Complaining is par for the course. People complain. It just comes with leadership. 
And I think I've heard it all in the 17 almost years that I've been here. I think I've heard it all. All the complaining. So if you've got any complaints, you might as well not tell me because I've already heard it. Amen. Totally Jesus. All kinds of complaints. I mean, you know, today I just was just writing them down. Okay, here's some. Here's some things I've heard. Complaints. Like people, and perhaps maybe you've asked this question yourself. You know, well, why is there no cross in the church? There's no cross in the church. People have said to me, why is there no cross in the church? I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes people are asking me things. I'm like, I don't really have a really, I don't have a deep, spiritual, profound, theological answer why is there no cross in church? I don't know. I just, it just never occurred to me. Well, why didn't it occur to you we need a cross in church? I'm, why? The cross means execution. The cross is a symbol, Calvary Chapel, please. The cross is a symbol of, of death. There was nothing special about the cross that Jesus hung on. Hear me. There was nothing special about the cross that Jesus hung on. What was special about the cross was the one who was hanging on it. Is that right? So we get all caught up in the symbol because we people, we were just like that. We just got to have something tangible that we can touch. So we, we got to have a cross. Why don't we have a cross? I don't know. We just don't have a cross. I mean, you know, we used to, you, you can't sit now because we've got the black curtains up here, but we have the, the, the Calvary Chapel logo up here. And, and, you know, one time somebody really did ask me this. They said, what's up with that, that, that thing, that burst thing behind your head? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.